Thank you, Steve. And that is a, a great prayer and song to ask the Lord to let his kingdom come. It has lots of ramifications when we think about that. And I'll let you think about that as after we have had our message this morning. Let's turn to Second Timothy. And the last few verses of the letter... And we will read again from verse 17 to end of verse 21. I must say before we start that that I have thoroughly enjoyed preparing messages and doing study and um, been challenged to the max as uh, I have done this and I trust that you also have been challenged in your Christian walk as an assembly of God's people, and uh, like I have. God willing, next week we'll begin Second Timothy. Uh, a letter was written probably for between four and six years after the first one, and a lot of things have happened in Paul's life and in Paul's time uh, during these two letters. But we'll leave that till next week. Let's pick up with the text and look at chapter 6 of 1 Timothy and verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Verse 20. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. May God add a blessing to his most holy word. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, We come before you reverently this morning and humbly. What an act of your grace it is to know Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord and to think of the way he came as we have done so this morning and the way of the cross, the way of redemption. And we as sinners through that way have been saved. We thank you, Father, for your divine intervention into this world of sin. But not intervention as we've already considered to be an afterthought, but something that was being eternally in your mind. Oh, Father, we leave that to you, for we cannot fully comprehend and grasp that concept. And so, Father, as we come to your word today, We thank you again for your grace and leaving us your holy scriptures in a language and in translations that we can understand. Father, help us to guard it, protect it, and to love it and to grow in it more and more. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, last time I was with you in 1 Timothy we saw that Paul had 
two last serious matters that he wanted to raise in these final words to Timothy, his son in the faith. Now we spent our last session dealing with the first of those two issues and that was all about how believers were to be good stewards of their earthly material treasure that God himself had entrusted them with because all good things come from God, right? And so evidently some of the believers in the Ephesus church were wealthy. In other words, they had money in their pockets. They had a roof over their heads that they could probably call their own. And they probably might have even had a horse or a carriage out in the back stable. We don't know. But we assimilated that to probably, most likely, most of us here who have money in our pockets, a roof over our heads and a horse in the stable out the side. And so we learned some very valuable lessons from that. But today we see a more valuable treasure that is of uttermost concern to Paul. And this treasure which has been entrusted to God's people and not only those in Ephesus, but a treasure that has been trusted to us all here is the treasure of God's truth, his revealed will in his word. And might I say that the true measure, as we think about that, the true measure of any church, and even further than that, the true measure of you as a Christian, but particularly of any church, as Timothy was the pastor of the Ephesus church and he had the church in mind, the true measure of any church is not about its numbers, it's not about its amazing music, it's not about its sweet fellowship, it's not about how well connected or intellectually savvy the pastor is or any such thing. The true measure in God's estimation of any church is based on how it values and handles the Word of God. It's all about how well churches teach it. It's all about how well churches heed it and how well the members of the church live out what God has said. That's the true measure of the church. Of course, this is not new to Timothy at this stage of this letter. It's not new to Paul because he's raised it succinctly in the key verse where we see the purpose of this whole letter to Timothy and that is in chapter 3 verse 15 let me read it for you this is what Paul says to Timothy in that key verse I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God which is the church of the living God the pillar and support of the truth you hear that so he's already raised this issue and so this whole letter that we have gone through verse by verse is hinged on this vital point of God's truth being the most valuable treasure any church or any individual has ever been entrusted with. So that leaves us the question, how do we value God's word? How do we handle it? What are we doing with this treasure that God has entrusted to it. As I was thinking about this only this morning, I was reminded of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And you know there that God, the, the master, the landowner, gave, he was going on a journey and, and, he, and he gave uh, one of his servants, one of his slaves, five talents, another two talents, another one talent. 
And you know what they did with him? The one with five talents invested it wisely and he got a, a good dividend. Okay, he used it wisely. The one with two talents also invested wisely and also he realized a good dividend. But the one with one talent, what did he do? He buried it, remember? He was indifferent about it. He couldn't care less about it. He, he obviously had other priorities where he shoved the talent that the master had given him in the background. I was reminded of that as we were looking at this text. And so there's different ways that we can handle things that we're entrusted with. And so this whole text is a challenge how we are going to handle God's truth that he has entrusted this church and you as individuals with. I was also reminded when I was preparing this in my own reading of how the religious priests and prophets of Jeremiah's day handled the truth. There's scores of responses of how God's people have handled the truth. And I was shocked and staggered at the audacity of these religious prophets and priests because what they did, they substituted God's truth with their own idea of how things should go and how things should be. So as I thought about that, I thought, well, it's nothing new really, is there? They substitute it with their own shonky dreams and, and passed off their apparitions off as the real deal, as being truth from God. And this is what the people got. So what does God say about that? What did he say about that in Jeremiah's time? This is what he said to Jeremiah in response to how the people responded to God's word that was entrusted to them. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. And when I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. What a serious indictment upon those who should have known better. Folks, the scripture, the holy word of God, must be treated with reverence and with a holy fear because it is simply this, God revealing himself to us. And any church or minister that directly redefines God's word to say something else other than what it does say or indirectly redefines it, that is, to ignore it or to devalue it, or to shove it aside like the person who got the one talent and bury it, any church that does that, any individual does that, is in grave danger. Just like I heard someone say recently, or it was reported to me that this particular young woman went to a church, but she didn't like that church. You know why the reason why she didn't like it? Because they use the Bible a whole lot. How sad. Folks, these kind of churches or ministers who treat God's truth lightly are, are no different than the dodgy prophets of the past. And they're in grave danger. And so God has said this about our relationship to his revelations. This is how it should be. He said this in Isaiah 66 verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. I want the Lord to look upon me. Do you want the Lord to look upon you? When that says look there, it's look with favor, it's look with grace, it's look with kindness, it, it's, it's, it's a look of endearment, it's a look of love, it's a look of relationship. He says, 
This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So we ask the question, how do we handle it? How do we value it? How are we as God's steward, stewards entrusted with his word to treat it? How are we to treat it? This is a searching question, folks, because like in the first century church, we today face huge temptations, do we not, to compromise the truth of God's word, to dumb it down, to water it down, to ignore it, to bury it, simply because we have more important things, we so-called think, in our life than the word of God. And here the apostle Paul, who was, who was exemplary, and guarding and preaching and revering and holding fast the truth of God's word, even under severe trial, even under severe trial, he brings his swan song charge to Timothy, and might I say, there's this little church this morning, today. He charges Timothy and all of us how we are to be that pillar and ground of truth. And so we say, well, how does he do that in these two verses, verses 20 to 21? He does it in three ways, as he did it for, well, how I put it up, as handling earthly treasure. And the first way is Timothy had a duty to achieve. We see this in the first part of verse 20. He had a duty to achieve. And he charges Timothy with these words, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. This is the duty that Timothy is charged to achieve in his lifetime and with his life. In other words, Paul says, O Timothy, and by the way, that's a term of endearment. That just tells us how he loved Timothy. And there was a special place in his heart for Timothy because remember he had won Timothy to the faith and even called him a son in the faith. Spells out something of the emotion behind this appeal to this younger man, Timothy. And he calls and charges him. And before we go any further, by the way, did you know Timothy? The word Timothy means one who honors God. That's what it means. And so he charges Timothy, the one who honors God, to retain the truth what has been entrusted to him. In other words, Timothy, I want you and charge you to live up to what your name means to guard and protect what has been entrusted to you. That word guard there, by the way, is what is used for the safekeeping of valuable treasure. If you had some jewels or diamonds or whatever, jewellery, you would put it in a deposit box with a lock and key. You would be very careful. And so that same word is used for how you would treat that. And Timothy was charged to guard this treasure that had been entrusted to him. In the Greek, there's one word used for what has been entrusted to you. One word. And that one word is translated deposit. Just like you would have some money and you want it to be safe, you deposit it in a bank. Supposedly it'll be safe there. And so this deposit that Timothy was to guard at all cost simply was the truth of God's word. You see, it wasn't his oratory abilities that Timothy may well have had that Timothy was to guard. 
It wasn't his natural giftedness that Timothy may well have had that he was to guard. It, it was not his ability to even communicate God's truth that Timothy was to guard. He's telling Timothy that he has a responsibility to value and protect and defend and retain the truth of the Christian faith. You see, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is serious about orthodoxy. He's serious about us holding on to those great truths of the Christian faith which have been expounded through the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles and now have been inscripturated in the Word of God as we have it today. He's really serious about that. We know this because Paul urges Timothy over and over in this letter as we have seen to hold fast to the sound doctrine and to oppose false teaching in the church. That's one of the main themes that run right through. That is the main theme. But we also see this carries over. The same duty to achieve is being urged upon Timothy and every steward of the gospel is carried over into the next letter, which we will look at and begin next week, God willing. But let me read a couple of verses in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. This is what Paul says to Timothy again. Remember, this is probably up to six years later. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, the same word, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. The same language is employed in 2 Timothy as we have here in our text. And so Paul is calling Timothy to hold fast to the total truth content of the Christian faith summarized in the preaching of the apostles. And Paul is saying, Timothy, value the truth, protect the truth, defend the truth, and retain the truth. You see, folks, Timothy was not to bring in anything new of his own. People love to do that, don't they? Especially in church circles and even in evangelical circles. He was not to invent any new doctrine or any fancy way that may be put out there to attract people. No. He was not to redefine God's truth in any way, shape or form, no matter what the culture of the day was saying. How guilty has the church been of doing that? In many areas, in the areas of marriage, in the areas of, of gender, and in, in the area of human rights, in the area of role of mum and dad, of children... So many churches have compromised the truth even in this area, let alone getting into the areas of salvation and Jesus Christ being the only way. And so why was not Timothy to do any of these things or to redefine truth? Simply this, because he had already received it. He would already received the truth that God had given to him. And he had received this truth from God as it was passed to him first through his grandma and then through his mother and now here through the apostle. We're told in 2 Timothy 1.5. Timothy didn't invent this as he was going along and he dare not. He had received the message. He had received truth from God. And Paul is saying, Timothy, hold on to it. This is your duty. It's your job. You see, folks, 
The Christian message is not something the pastor or the elders of any denomination or even any denomination is to work out or is even given the liberty to add to or change. It's a divine revelation committed to our care. It's already here. Christian parents, as leaders in the home, this is your duty to achieve, to pass on the truth that you have already received in the Word of God to your children. Shepherds of the flock, elders here, are especially bound by this duty of care to pass on this divine, unaltered and unimpaired truth to others. What a responsibility to achieve. Not only for ourselves, but for future generations. What a responsibility. But achieve it we must. A distant ancestor of mine, whose name was, and you may smile, Adolf von Honeck. He was an artist of renown among the aristocracy in Germany. His paintings and portraits grace some of today's galleries in Germany and are highly valued as one of Germany's treasures. But you know what? Those galleries did not get all of his paintings. My great-grandfather arrived in New Zealand from Germany with a number of them in his luggage. I don't think he stole them, okay? Anyway, my great-grandfather passed on them to his grandfather, to my grandfather, who then passed them on to my father, who then passed these valuable treasures, a prized family heirloom, to my brother and myself. Hence, I have got one wrapped up. Still back in New Zealand. You see, we both, Russell and I, are bound to guard and protect these valuable family heirlooms. My dear people, God has entrusted us with something far more valuable than pieces of artworks or a family heirloom. We all, especially pastors and teachers, have been entrusted with the word of salvation, with the word of truth, with the very revelation of God. And so Paul charges Timothy here and the whole church to value it, to protect it, to defend it, to retain it, to hold on to it, no matter what the cost. My dear people, for 15 short years, they have been short years, while I've been your pastor, my fellow elders of this church have made it a priority to achieve this duty of care. This duty of care of guarding the truth that has been entrusted to us. Not that you say that we've been perfect in it, but with all our being, we've endeavoured to guard this truth that has been trusted to us. So let us not in any way undervalue or take for granted that good work. But I challenge you all, each one today, unless God's truth, that revealed truth, is valued, protected and guarded in the years to come, in the life of this church and in your personal lives, the truth will not be in danger because the truth never fails, right? 
It will go on forever. The truth not is in danger for you failing to retain it or guard it, but you will be in danger or this church will be in danger because you know what? We'll lose the truth if we fail in that area. May we continue by his grace and power to guard what has been entrusted to us for his glory. The second point is we have a danger to avoid. We see this in the second part of verse 20. And so we can ask the question here, what is involved in guarding the truth? Now what Paul gives Timothy here in the whole church is not a comprehensive answer. There's a whole, that's a whole series of messages in itself. But he does give an important answer just the same here in our text. He charges Timothy and all of us to avoid worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. This is very relevant in our day and age. And evidently back in Ephesus there were, like we come across today, some highly intellectual and well-read philosophical religious academics, I call them. And they were spouting off their knowledge and debate against the apostolic Christian faith. It was not absolutely, maybe in direct opposition. It wasn't like a, a, a Christian and an atheist, but it was one, it was like a wolf in sheep's clothing. He believed something, but then he had another angle. They would introduce something that's foreign to the truth, to the scriptures, and would cause havoc by that angle. And so these men were wise in religious thought and they no doubt used their academic titles to place themselves above the Apostle Paul and the Apostles because after all, who were the Apostles? Some were only mere fishermen. Come on. These guys weren't well read and trained. The Apostle Paul was, but you know, they were putting themselves above them. And because they were putting themselves above them, that only went one thing, if you want to go to that in the way of logic, that they certainly were, in their prideful thinking, way above the congregation itself. They were clever, and this cleverness, this, this so-called false knowledge that they have, empowered them to teach something new. And Paul's charge to Timothy was to avoid that kind of rhetoric. Avoid it like the plague. This word literally means avoid here, literally means to turn away from and, and treat this like a deadly plague, this kind of false teaching, because it's exactly what it is. In other words, Timothy, Paul says, you must refrain from being entangled in empty and speculative theological matters. You must avoid engaging with this kind of empty and speculative teaching, be it theology or anything else. I will confess from time to time I have been drawn into debates especially on social media that smacks of what Paul is meaning here and speaking of. And you know what? I've summed this up. The result has always been a total waste of the Lord's time and mine. It's a bit like debating with a JW group at the door or a Mormon duo that comes knocking. And sadly, these discussions, these debates, they have always, and I've had them over the many years, 
And I've always teased my mind with philosophical ideas or new ideas rather than my mind being fully engaged with the absolute truth of God's Word. That's what it does. A waste of time. I have now learned to turn away from such debates, theological otherwise, as they are what? What are they? Tells us here, Paul tells us here, they are what? Worldly. You see that? In other words, that is, those kind of debates, they are out, even though they are religious in nature, they are outside of the realm of God's truth. And you know what that means? That means if they are outside of the realm of God's truth, they are unholy and profane. So don't waste your time on them. Don't go there. Ignore them. Turn away from them. He calls them also empty chatter. That is, they are useless, vain arguments that lead to further ungodliness. That's according to 2 Timothy 2.16. Have a look at that verse. I'll read it for you. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. But that's not finished yet. Paul's not finished. He says, they are also opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. In other words, these intellectuals were spouting off with great confidence their knowledge, which was opposing the truth of the gospel. Now, I hear a lot of that lately, believe it or not. It's not an opposition to my idea or my opinion, but it's arguments that come up that, that are in direct opposition to the truth of God's word. And because I have to guard the word, retain the, the truth of God's word, it's against it. And so I have to put an endeavor to put that to the people. But please understand here, Paul was not ticked off that these men were clever and knowledgeable. Sometimes they can be intimidating, can't they? You get some with a PhD or whatever it is, and he's been here and he's been there, and he's well-read, well-traveled, etc., etc. That can be quite intimidating itself, itself. But Paul wasn't ticked off that these men were clever and knowledgeable. But he was ticked off, and what they said and what they were saying was being held up as true knowledge in the Lord, amongst the Lord's people. When all the time it was wrong. It was a false knowledge. Just like Jeremiah's day, these, these priests and prophets came up and said, I had a dream from the Lord. And then they would pass off their dream and it was always in opposition to what Jeremiah, the true prophet, was saying. And so Paul charges Timothy and every minister of the gospel in the home, in the church, wherever, to avoid such opposition to the truth. Ignore it. Don't bother wasting your time on such human cleverness which opposes the true knowledge of the gospel. Walk away from it. And thirdly, as a departure is activated, we see this in verse 21. Here Paul gives Timothy a stern warning of what can result if we engage and accommodate such worldly chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. In other words, this is what will happen. And folks, I have seen this happen over and over. But the Apostle Paul has seen this happen over and over. 
Because this is what he says. Some I know who have claimed this false knowledge, even though they have professed faith in Jesus Christ, they now have gone astray from the faith. That's what Apostle Paul is saying. You may know people like that. Some of us were just talking about some of those folks the other week who professed faith, they met in a circle just like this, and now they've taken on board the fact that, well, we're not Jewish enough, and so they worship on Saturdays, and they keep the feasts, and, and, and they've gone completely away from the faith. And so a departure is activated if we get caught up in this. You see what Paul is saying here, though, can't you, to Timothy? Paul is saying that there are some people, Timothy, in your congregation who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As taught by the apostles, do you? And yet because they've become entangled in new and false knowledge, because they've allowed their curious minds to be baited with this intimidating false teaching, what they do is they finally embrace it, and now they have gone astray from the faith. What a terrible thing for that to happen. You see, Paul is saying here, out plain and straight, bad theology leads to spiritual ruin. That's what he's saying. And this is why we need to guard the truths entrusted to us. So Paul pleads with Timothy, also pleads with every gospel minister, and by application, he, he pleads with every Christian parent and every Christian leader, no matter where they are, not to become like the false teachers. He pleads not out of a cold, calculated duty, but he pleads because of his heartfelt concern for the spiritual well-being of men and women and boys and girls. My dear people, grandparents amongst us, mums, dads, deacons, saints, all who have been entrusted with this deposit of divine truth, we need to be actively engaged in guarding this truth for the ongoing spiritual health of not only this church, but for our children and our children's children. You get the picture? Because it's down to you. It's down to you. God has entrusted you with it. And so I hope you're doing that already. You parents, I hope you're passing the truth on. The truth, not your truth, not your idea of truth, but God's truth from the Bible to your children. We're exhorted to do that in the Scripture. So that God in His grace and His, and His favour and His time, those children will pass it on to their children. That's how it works. I couldn't help copy down here another way of retaining and protecting and guarding the truth. I've got these headings from MacArthur's commentary. And so how do we protect the truth? First of all, we believe the Word of God. That's absolutely essential. If you're not a believer here today, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Saviour, if you haven't understood that you're a sinner in His sight and are on a road to hell, you need to understand that. And that His judgment upon you is a righteous and a just judgment and you need to personally come to Him and tell Him with your heart of hearts that you're a sinner and you long for Him to be your Saviour and to forgive your sins. You need to do that. You need to believe what God has said about you and about Christ in His Word. Not just believe it with a head, but believe it with a heart. And when it's believed with a heart, you will see results.
there will be action. So we must believe on John's 5 verse 24 uh, says, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes on him that sent me has eternal life. Have you got eternal life today? Do you know that you have eternal life? You'll never have it until you believe from the heart Jesus Christ. He does not come into judgment, that person who has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And secondly, we're to honour the word. We have this in Job, have a verse in Job 23 and verse 12. And Job says, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than necessary food. Wow. There's a committed man. There's a man who holds and values and exalts the word of God. And thirdly, loving the word from Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. You see, folks, every aspect of our living need be filtered through the word of God. Where you go, your jobs, your careers, your spouse, your, your whatever, needs to be filtered through the word of God. And if it doesn't line up with the word of God, you just walk away from it. Obeying the word of God. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. And thirdly, proclaiming the word of God. You know, the best way to retain the word of God and protect the word of God for yourself is to teach it. I have the great responsibility of doing that on a regular basis here. But you as parents, and, and you can teach yourself. You ever heard about teaching yourselves? If you haven't got children, teach yourselves for goodness sake. Go to the Word of God and look into the Word of God. Then ask yourself, what does this mean? And learn from the Word of God what this means. And then you teach your own heart. You disciple yourself to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Obey the Word of God. Proclaim the Word of God. Tell your children. Fifth and sixthly, we are to defend the Word of God. And June, by the way, that verse in 2 Timothy 4.2 is well known. It says, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. Defending the Word of God, Jude 3, it reads, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And then finally, studying the Word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the Word of truth. So folks, you want to protect, you want to guard the, the truth, the deposit that God has given to you? You need to practice guarding it by following some of these suggestions. So there you have it. And then Paul closes his letter to Timothy with this four-word benediction we have in our English translation. Grace be with you. Now, this may seem very rudimentary and uh, just a Closing goodbye. There is far more to this four-word benediction than we might think. You know what? He's reminding Timothy, but not only Timothy. This is what comes from some study of the Word of God. You see that word you here? We so often just put a singular aspect of it. But this word you is in the plural in the Greek form. And so what Paul is saying, grace 
to the whole assembly, including Timothy and including every reader who reads like us here this morning. Grace be with you. In other words, he's reminding us that the greatest treasure of all is God's grace. You cannot, we cannot, I cannot protect and guard the truth apart from God's grace. Empowering me and, and, and providing me the wherewithal to do that. You see, because it's not only God's grace that saves, it is also God's grace that sanctifies us. And it's only by His superabounding grace that we're empowered, empowered to guard the deposit of truth entrusted to us. And you know what? That superabounding grace is available to us all. It's not as if, okay, well, Lord, you haven't given me this grace, so I'm off the hook. No, 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 no. If you're a born-again believer, truly born again, you have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of grace abiding within you. And so you're already empowered to do exactly what the Apostle charges Timothy and all of us here to do. And so if it's not done, you are choosing to disobey and rebel against a charge that God brings to us. My dear people, may it be by the grace of God that we here all at NCC understand and take up willingly our responsibility and worshipful service, can I call it, worshipful service of guarding the truth for our own spiritual well-being and also for that of future generations. May God's grace be with you all. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do give thanks this morning for your truth that you have entrusted to us. Oh, Father, what a responsibility that we have to guard it. Oh, help us in this, Lord. By your grace, may we stand firm. May we contend when that is needed. Keep it, retain it. Protect it. Never move away from it. Even though the pressures of culture would dictate that we are out of touch, Lord, keep us ever more in touch with the truth of your word, we pray. Protect us and bless your word amongst us. These things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.